0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. I asked Austin, do I just go up? I've done this for a way long time. (laughs) I I was thinking back a little bit ago. um, I'm not sure exactly how long it's been since I've had the privilege of speaking, but it's been over a year, which kind of blows my mind. And what a year it's been. Huh? Actually, in my own life, and I'll tell you a little bit of my story in a minute, it's been, it's been about two and a half years. So much has happened. So much has changed. You probably sit there and think about the world. I agree with that. But I'm also talking about me and all the good that God has done this past couple years in my life. And I want to talk about that with you this morning if I had to characterize what this time is like I'd say that it has been a hard good season any of you ever had a hard good season (laughs) any of you in a hard good season right now yeah I bet more than would raise their hands Um, before I talk about that I want to give you just a little background and context because so many of you are new I look around the church and it's like I don't know them you're probably sitting there going, I don't know him. And <laughs> that's okay, okay? My wife, and, my wife, Jan, and I came here in um, November of 1979 to be the youth pastors on a two-year experiment. Glenn Brown was the lead pastor at the time, and he said, now, if we bring you out here, you have to promise you'll stay five years. And I said, Glenn, I promise I'll stay two. I can't promise five. The first trip into Loveland, where the Sam's Club sits now, I'm sitting in the backseat of his car in a tumbleweed goes rolling across the street. I'm from inner city Cleveland. We don't do tumbleweeds. (laughs) It was just for an experience, all right? Um, The other thing I was pondering this week is I'm not exactly sure when I retired. (laughs) Seriously, I mean, the plan was 2020. I'd be around to help Austin and to, you know, kind of help him get with the program and understand some of the ins and outs and what the transition should look like. And then COVID hit. And then Austin hit the ground running, okay? I, uh, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. I, I was thinking the other day that I feel a little bit like a, uh, a batting coach, all right? And I said, Austin, now come here, I'm gonna teach you how to hit a curve ball. And he comes to the plate and he hits five of the first 10 pitches into the bleachers. And I go, I think you know how to hit a curveball. So it's been, it's been wonderful to watch. I, I want you to know this. I have say this to you a lot. I'm really proud of you. I really am. Yep. And I know you're proud of him too because he's, he's doing a great job. And um, the staff and the leadership you've assembled in this place is just, it's wonderful to see. You know, when I, when I came here, I felt God very clearly spoke to me Um, as I became the lead pastor, that my my mission, my my focus, my function was to be to lay a foundation into this church, a solid biblical foundation into this church that the next generation could build upon. And you know, when I was done, I, I felt very clearly the Lord said to me, mission accomplished, well done. And that's not to brag on me because the better thing is mission is being accomplished and it's being accomplished in a well done kind of way. All right. I think God is really pleased, not just with the past, but especially with the future as you continue to build this church, all of you, not just Austin, not just the staff or the leaders, and to advance God's kingdom, because that's, I mean, that's his heart for this place. Um, My new title is Pastor Emeritus. And if you study the Greek, you'll find out that's code for old retired guy. (laughs) A lot of you know me as, as Pastor Kent. Jim Parker, where are you? Did you coin that term? Maybe. PK? Yeah. yeah I think you did. Thanks. Um, that's still kind of me in some ways, but um, more than PK, I'm uh, Pastor Meredith. Some of you are sitting there going, hey, that's that old guy on the video we watch in class in 101 that talks about the vision of the church. That's me. I'm much better looking in person. <laughs> you know that. Um, so I've got a confession that I need to make today, all right? Having not done this for over a year and having listened to Austin for two plus years, um, I'm kind of nervous today with this opportunity to speak. So in preparation, I've worked really hard to be current, to be relevant, and especially to be more tech savvy. So Taylor, could you uh, bring my iPad up here for me, please? Austin always uses his iPad, and I thought I'd bring mine and just try and go with the flow. You know, it's, it's uh, important for me, just a minute, that, that this be seamless, okay? And so that what you're used to, you keep getting today, all right? You know what I'm saying? See, that's an Austinism right there. You know what I'm saying? I'm just following my model. So what did you want to say? It's called, it's called an iMac. That's not an iPad. Wait a minute. This is, not, it's not an iPad. It's an iMac? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Hmm. They're different, right? Completely yeah. Come. Oh. Complete. Yeah. Relax, relax. I'm good to go. For those of you who are under 30 years old, a couple things I want you to know. This is paper. These are handwritten notes, okay? And this right over here is called a pulpit. And so we're gonna go with what I like best. Thank you, my man. Dust that off. Oh, look, it is dusty. <laughs> oh. It's like I always say yeah, good enough for the Apostle Paul, good enough for me. All right, now, where were we before we did that little dude? Um, I mentioned earlier, just a couple of minutes ago, this has been a good, hard season for me personally, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk a little bit about the hard part, but Focus on the really good part. Back uh, in in 2019, prior to the transition, I was praying and seeking the Lord, and I felt like he said in my spirit, I'm going to take you into some deeper waters. And I'm just naive enough to think, oh, that's great. I've always wanted to learn to walk on water, especially if it's deeper. And then I thought, well, that's a little ambitious. Um, I want to learn to swim in deeper water. I had no idea that going into deeper water meant that I would spend a lot of time under water. And the last two, two and a half years have been extremely difficult, okay? I felt many times like I was drowning and I didn't really know what to do. You see, um, very quickly, March of 2020, I had reconstructive surgery on my left shoulder. In November that year, I had my first, yes, my first, bout with COVID. Last September, I had both knees replaced at the same time. My father said, if you don't do them both at the same time, you probably won't go back and do the other one. I was not even enough to believe him. Um, hardly anyone ever does them both at the same time because the pain and the recovery is really long and excruciating. And something I was not prepared for, severe depression can be, not always is, but can be one of the side effects that's kind of normal. Well, it's normal, but I tell you, it's awful. It's awful. And then January of this year, I had my second bout with COVID. I'm here to tell you that I recovered. You probably figured that out, I know, you're smart. (laughs) Fast forward to this past March, um, I had major surgery on my left foot. I have pictures, you don't wanna see the pictures. And then, This coming June 6th, I'm going to have the same thing done to my right foot. By September, I'm going to be as good as new. I'm going to be like Steve Austin. Now, here's a generational thing for you all. I'm not talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Older folks, who am I talking about? The bionic man, Steve Austin. The real Steve Austin. In spite of all of those issues I just shared with you, as hard as this past couple years have been physically and emotionally, I would not trade them for anything, and I mean that, because it's also been a tremendous time of spiritual growth in my life and in my relationship with God, Um, learning things and experiencing things with him. And I want the same for you. No, not the physical pain and the depression. (laughs) I want for everybody in this place to enter into a season of great spiritual growth and a deeper relationship with God. Don't you want that? I know you do. I know you do. So I want to stop, and I want to pray for you right now, okay? And pray for me. Because it's one thing to speak, it's another thing to listen, and both of those need to go hand in hand. So, uh, Holy Spirit, I'm really grateful, I am, that you've been teaching me some wonderful and needed things the past couple years. Um, Today, Lord, I want to do so much more than just impart knowledge to our heads. I would like to have you help me impart revelation knowledge into our hearts, because that's what changes us. I want everybody here, Lord, to experience in some form or fashion the transformational power of your word and your spirit, and I readily admit I cannot do this, but you can, and I believe you will, as we open our hearts and minds to you today. In Jesus' name. All right, if you've got a Bible on your phone, or they actually come in paper as well, open it, if you would, please, to Isaiah chapter 55, and we're going to start at verses 8 and 9. Okay, they're, they're pretty familiar, often quoted statements um, by God about himself, and this is what I want you to get. Most often, people miss what they really mean because they do not understand the context In which God is speaking and what He's really saying. So I'm going to read these to you. We'll unpack them a bit, move our way around uh, this chapter a little bit, look a couple other places, and I think it'll all come together nicely. Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, most often people read that and they think somehow God is is reminding us that uh, he's far wiser than we are, okay? His understanding of pretty much everything out there is far, far beyond ours, okay? And that we cannot begin to know or comprehend all that God knows. Now, is that a true statement? It absolutely is a true statement, okay? However, that's not the declaration that God is making here, okay? That he's... far beyond us that he's almost unreachable or or unknowable. Because if you go back up a couple of verses to verse 6, it says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, it makes no sense whatsoever, does it, that God would say to you, you need to seek me. But I'm so far out there, you'll never, ever get there. That would almost be cruel in some ways, wouldn't it? So that's, that's not what God is saying, okay? This verse says he's near. He's not far away. So if God's not talking here about his wisdom and his knowledge and all that he knows, all of his thoughts um, in comparison to ours is just so much greater and it's so further out there, then, then what's he really saying? Well, I think, I believe that once you see and understand the context, you'll start to have some revelation. I think that God is addressing in this passage probably most people's, if not all people's, faulty assumptions and mistaken perceptions about who God truly is and about what he desires for you and me and our lives, okay? Church, I think you know this. God wants to be known. He wants to be known. And in many ways, and there's a whole multitude of people here at different places, you know, some of us don't know him yet. Probably most of us don't fully know him yet as deeply as he desires us to. This life is supposed to be all about knowing God. Do you know that? Yeah. Jesus could not have said it more clearly. He said in John 17:3, this is eternal life. And you kind of expect, uh-oh, here comes the rules, here comes the list, here's the do's and don'ts. It's all about obedience. No, he said, this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Hey, following, obeying is important. Being a good person is important. But it's not first and foremost. First and foremost is knowing God and his son Jesus, having a personal relationship with him, knowing who you are in him and who you are to him. And then God will work out the changes that need to happen in our lives in terms of obedience and serving and all all those kind of things. Here's the context. Now get this, please. Here's the context of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, where he talked about my thoughts aren't your thoughts, my ways aren't your ways. You there, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may have life and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. How do you buy food without any money? How do you buy drink, milk, without any money, without any cost? That doesn't make sense, does it? It's not logical. And not only that, it says you can really have all that you want and not have to pay for it. It's ours in abundance. Well, in the natural mind, it's like, oh, that doesn't work. But you see, before you get wrapped around the axle trying to figure out how does that work, What you need to realize and understand is this is an open invitation by God himself to come. It says three different times, come, come, partake. Partake in what? He says milk and wine and water and those kind of things, but it's talking about come, partake in my abundant grace and mercy. Come and partake of my great love for you. And the forgiveness that I've offered you in Jesus and and the mercy that can be yours and the forgiveness that, that can be yours. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Let's just get that settled, okay? You can't. But it's free. And so what you need to do is not earn it and deserve it. What you need to do is believe it and receive it. That's God's heart for us in this. He talks about wine. What a symbol in Scripture of joy and abundant blessing. Wine is also the symbol of Jesus' blood, the new covenant that we enter into him, not working to earn anything, but receiving the grace he's poured upon us by shedding his blood on the cross. Milk and bread are symbols of of God's word, okay, both written and spoken, that rhema word that he speaks to our hearts. And water is a sign for the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of like, hey, come get the whole package, kids. What's it going to cost me? Nothing. It's free. That's the heart God wants us to understand. It's an open invitation from God himself to come and get it. To come and get all that he has for us. Verse number three is really important to grasp. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen. Why? So that you may have life. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. It's so important that we understand that, okay? Grace, mercy, love, acceptance, forgiveness is all found in Christ. But there's a call upon us to press into those things, okay? Yes, they're ours for free, but we need to press into the truth of who God is and who we are, all right? To listen to his word as we spend time in the book and to listen for the voice of his spirit that wants to affirm you and encourage you and remind you over and over and over again that you are God's beloved son. You are God's beloved daughter. That's the message, okay? That's where life is found, not just in heaven someday, but here on earth today now. This this life this covenant is all about experiencing the same kind of faithful mercy just like David did. According to David means just like David. All right? David was called a man after God's own heart. A perfect sinless man? And all the church said, "Ha! <laughs> he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. But he knew how to experience God's forgiveness." and God's grace and mercy in some very wonderful ways, just like God wants all of us to do as well. That's not a reason or an excuse to go out and commit adultery or kill people. That's not the point. The point is David found grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, acceptance, all those things that is readily available to us also. You see, a huge part of the abundant life that Jesus promised us in John 10.10 is found in believing and receiving the truth of who you are, and whose you are. Amen? It's so, so important. And you've got to, in, in that you also have to stop believing the lies that you assume about yourself and about God. Whether it's lies the devil tells you, or lies that the world around you tells you, or lies your parents or your family or your friends told you, or even lies that you just tell yourself. I've got one word for you. Stop! It's, it's counterproductive. It it forms huge roadblocks at times in our ability to access God and to, to know who he is and who we are. I'm convinced the more I look at scripture and listen to other people's stories and look at my own life, that one of the worst results, and I mean this, one of the worst results of sin entering into the world back in the Garden of Eden is that we now have to battle against a distorted picture and some faulty assumptions about God. Adam and Eve started it, but we can't blame them because we all are infected by this thing. It's passed down to mankind. After they sinned, it said they knew they were naked, and that's a picture of moving from just totally being centered on God, their father, and relationship with him to suddenly being self-conscious and having to deal with guilt and shame and all that kind of stuff. They hid from God. Why? Because they assumed... He was angry and he was looking for him so we could punish him. They felt in terms of mercy and grace and forgiveness and all that, and we've blown it. It's too late. It's over. Today, people feel many of those same things, and we probably can add some other things to the list. And it keeps us feeling unworthy and it keeps us feeling distant. God is our Father, and implied in that is His heart is for relationship with you, not keep a safe distance. In Genesis 1:27, it says, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Yeah, sin has tarnished the image, okay, and it needs God's redemptive work to make it right, but you are still made in the image of God, amen? That's in us. That's who we are. And to bear God's image means that we should have him influencing our minds, our wills, our emotions, what we think, what we feel, and how we behave. That means we need to grow to see God as our kind and good, merciful, loving Father. He's not an angry judge waiting to pass sentence on you, throw out some punishment, he's not a scorekeeper tallying up how much right you've done versus how much wrong you've done. Amen. Thank for that. And he's not a cruel taskmaster that you can never quite do enough for. You need to see yourself as God sees you and believe it. You're not a horrible sinner who's never going to be good enough. You're a son, you're a daughter who happens to struggle with sin. But you see, if you're made in God's image, you don't focus on all your shortcomings and all the sin in your life. Rather, you repent and you forget about them. Now, you may sit here and say, Kent, you don't know what I've done. I can't forget it. It haunts me all the time. Now, when it talks about forgetting sin, God says he forgets our sins. Don't think for a minute that God, the omniscient one, suddenly has amnesia now, what, was that? what did David do again? I just, I can't remember. Holy Spirit, can you help me out? What was it that did? No, it doesn't mean that. To forget our sins means God chooses not to act upon them. He chooses not to dole out the punishment that would fit the crime, so to speak. And you see, if you're made in the image of God, that's how you need to treat yourself. You need to stop punishing yourself for things you've done in your past. You need to say, Jesus, I don't want them to haunt me anymore. And, and let them go. Get past them, okay? Stop, let the enemy do that to you. Stop doing it to yourself. You see, that's why I asked Caden and the team today to do so will I. I, I tear up every time that, that phrase comes up: a hundred billion failures do what? They disappear. Oh, man. And that's God's call. Let go and let him change those things in you. So again, just so we're clear, when God says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, my ways aren't your ways, all that it says right there, what he's really saying is, what you think and assume about me is not who I am. It's not a statement about I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you, I'm wiser than you. It's you have some really jacked up thinking when it comes to who you assume That I am. And you see, it's about God calling us, appealing to us to shed false thinking and faulty assumptions. Let them go. Get rid of them. Be renewed in the truth of what His written word says and what His spoken word wants to speak into your heart. Okay, I I I need to do this. I don't want to do this because it's kind of humbling to share this with you, okay? But as long as I was a pastor here, I tried to be really honest about my own struggles in in hopes that somehow we could understand that, hey, we're all in this together. This past year, amidst all the surgeries and the depression and COVID and all that, I really hit rock bottom, I really did. I couldn't do much of anything. I had to face the fact that I've done something for 40 years and, and it was done. And I had to take a really hard look at who I was, not being tied to what I did. You know, I've taught that for so many years around here, it almost, it's sad, but it makes me laugh. I've taught this. It's about who you are, not what you do. But in in this past year, the rubber has really hit the road on that one. And one day, in the middle of all this, I heard, God, again, speak to my spirit and say, Kent, it's time to learn to be a son. It's time to learn to be a son. And you talk about your pride being slapped upside the head. Sonship is another thing I've taught for years around this place, okay? I know about sonship. I know what it means to be God's child. I know in my head. But God showed me, I want you to have a little more in your heart, son. I want you to experience some things about me and my love for you. The more I thought about it's time to be a son, the more I had to admit the fact that so much of my sonship looked like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. So let me just read a little bit of that story. It's found in Luke 15. We'll pick it up after the prodigal returns and the party has started. Verse 25. Now, his older brother was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother's come, and your father slaughtered the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him, saying, uh, Pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, For so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. And the father said, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because your brother, because of your brother who was dead has begun to live He was lost, and now he's found. You know, I don't identify with being that angry with God, that emphatic, but I had to read that and and see that too much of my focus in my relationship with God was on duty and obedience and be a good pastor and do all that you're supposed to do and in a way to kind of try and gain approval. And I had to face the fact that, you know, I see God a lot more as my boss than my father. Not enough grace, mercy, love, and acceptance in my own personal relationship. And I'm just struck with how incredulous the Father's response is. Son, you've always been with me and all that's mine is yours. It's it's like, I can't believe you didn't know this. It's a real similar vein to Isaiah 55. How could you think this about me? How could you assume that that's who I was? This is who I really am. And you see... As I've been honest with God about this whole thing, he's been doing some wonderful things in my heart and in my mind and in my relationship with him as a beloved son. And I think if you're honest with yourself, I think we all would have to admit that to some degree, maybe not as much as mine, but to some degree we probably still have some wrong thinking about God and who he is as our father and about ourselves as his children, things that we still need healed of. You see, when you read scripture, it's always a story of leaving something behind to gain something new. Whether it's Abraham leaving his family in his hometown to go to that land God would show him, Israel leaving um, Egypt and slavery to go to the promised land, even the old covenant of laws and sacrifice works into the new covenant of Jesus and grace and mercy. I think too often, and and get this please, I think too often we embrace our new life in Christ and keep dragging faulty assumptions about God along with us as we go. Because they seem normal. They just seem right. You see, scripture says we're, we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. Sorry folks, I think in some ways we are. Because we have faulty assumptions about God that don't line up with what he tells us about himself in his word. We need to admit it, okay? We need to admit it and see if it's true in us. I have a great, great quote from Jim Cimbala, or Symbala. I'm not sure how he says his name. He's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. He's written several books, one of them, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He said, I discovered an astonishing truth. God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. Our weaknesses make room for his power. And I would add, they make room for his love and mercy as well. So I want to close with this. Romans 8, 14 through 16 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption, As sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. These verses are true. They are the truth about God's heart for you and what he wills for you to experience. But let's be honest, there's some roadblocks at times, some walls, some hindrances that get in the way of our experience. Again, like I said, you can know all these things in your head And that's a great foundation to have, but God wants to put them into your heart so that you experience them firsthand. He wants you to have a relationship as a beloved son or daughter. Now, I'd I'd like you to stand, if you would, please. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands. I'm sure not gonna ask you to come forward, but I, I do want you to do this. I'd like everybody to just kind of close their eyes so you're not looking around. And I want you to nod your head. That's pretty safe and pretty easy, especially if everybody's eyes are closed like I ask you to. (laughs) If what I'm about to share is a mental roadblock for you or a hindrance that fits you in terms of your relationship with God, by nodding your head, you're saying, yep, that's me. You're agreeing with the truth, okay? So I still wrestle with seeing God as angry with me and punitive, I don't see him as loving and forgiving. I view God more as a boss or a general with a to-do list, with orders to obey, more than I see him as a father to have relationship with. I wrestle with performance issues, I, I need to earn and deserve God's love and acceptance and blessing. It's hard for me to only believe and receive, that seems too easy. I know I'm a son, I know I'm a daughter, but I'm too much like that older brother. And finally, I've got issues with my earthly father, and that makes it difficult to relate to God as I should. All right, look up at me for a moment if you would please. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna dismiss us, okay? But if you identified with any of these roadblocks, and you sure could have more than one, if you've been honest about them, you've started a wonderful journey into a deeper relationship, a better relationship with God, your Heavenly Father, and a more fulfilling life. You know, Austin and the team have been talking about life on mission. I wanna promise you that if you can live your life on mission from the perspective of, I am a beloved son or a beloved daughter, It's going to go so much better for you. And here's God's promise to you. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. I love how it reads in the ESV. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God so wants your thoughts and your heart to line up with what it truly means to be a son or daughter those hidden things call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and hidden things which you do not know. Those hidden things are like Easter eggs that we hide for our kids. We want them to find them. Amen? And it's the same way here. God wants you to find and discover a deep and wonderful relationship with him. And so I'm going to pray. And if you're comfortable just extending your hands as a sign of open reception to what God has for you, I don't consider myself to be Elijah the prophet, but I'm going to call down rain on this place in a minute. Not literal rain, but the rain of God's mercy and God's love and God's grace. You can choose to put an umbrella up or you can dance in the rain and get soaked and wet. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that... um, Later in Isaiah you talk about your word not returning to you void without accomplishing what you desire and what purpose you've sent it for and I'm believing God that that's what you're wanting to do today as we've looked clearly at your word and the truth about who you are and who we are I'm believing I'm praying God that you just rain down mercy all over this room and Lord flood this place flood our hearts with an experiential knowledge of your grace and your mercy and your goodness and your kindness and your forgiveness and your love. Lord, let it rain. And let us understand that this is not just a -a one-time-we-took-a-shower kind of rain. This is your heart for us as we go forward every day. You want to continue to pour those things out upon us. And so I'm praying that you would just increase our believing that we can come to you and receive these things. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. It's been a great time to be with you today and a privilege and honor. Thanks, Austin, for asking where Austin go? Hi. <laughs> Thanks for letting me do this. God bless you all.